How important is album art to the artist's overall message? And how is this achieved when the artist doesn't do their own design? For this week's show, we recorded a panel during Design Week in Portland, featuring label folks and graphic designers discussing the aesthetics of album art. Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label, Kill Rockstars. Support for the future of what comes from Merch Table. With over 15 years of experience in merchandising, screen printing, tour support, and online fulfillment, Merch Table partners with artists and labels looking to jumpstart their business. Visit merchtable.com to learn more and open a store today. Design, designers, and album art. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Support for the future of what comes from Sound Exchange. You're listening to the future of what. I'm talking to Tafik Mardini, Adam Garcia, Aaron Miola, Jenny Logan, and Joe Stewart. The most interesting thing about this particular topic of album art is that an album is itself art, right? So then when you put art on top of art, it's kind of an interesting intersection. In our case with Kill Rockstars, we consider ourselves a very artist-friendly label, so we like to let artists do what they want, for the most part within reason and you know, hopefully within budget. But you don't always have artists who want to design their own art. So I think that's where we get into the whole design situation. I want to start with you, Tafi, because I think it's really interesting that you are like the designer for the label. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. do you want to talk about how that works? How do you work with artists on coming up with designs? Oh, man. So honestly, our process is so, it's really hard to define because it really varies project to project. So basically, we can get a sketch from an artist on a napkin and they're like, I want something like this on the art. Like, like Stonehenge? Like literally a, ske- a sketch on a napkin, <laughs> like just something. I'm like, okay. And so sometimes Kenny and I will go back and forth and try to figure it out and he'll send it to me. And I'm like, yeah, I can make that work. Yeah, okay, I could do that. And then we build a world around that idea. You know, like that's basically our starting point. But other times it's not that easy. You know, like other times it's a little more, maybe they have an idea of what they want, but they don't know how to get there. And so we have to come up with options and then kind of like whittle away at the process and really get us to that end point, you know? And you guys are a pretty new record label, so have you yet had an artist who just came up and was like, I've got the art, I'm handling it, it's totally, I've done it? Close. There's been occasions like that where maybe we'll have to tweak a few things to kind of have it fit the kind of aesthetic world that we've built together. And there's times where like the artist will have basically directed the entire process and just killed it, you know? And and those are probably the best situations, you know, it, because it's really their personality attached to the entire world that they've created, both music and visual, you know? And for me, that's a bummer, because I want to like get in there, you know? But it's still cool that way. You know, it's exciting that way. It's another exciting aspect to the project. Aaron, why don't you tell us about how it works for your label? You know, it's actually pretty similar. I think my number one goal going into a project when we're figuring out the design part of it is trying to please the artist or have the art represent what they're going for, but sometimes they come in with a really clear vision of what they want, and sometimes there'll be some reference images, but they really don't know what they want. So we have Abigail, our designer on staff, and oftentimes we'll start with a meeting with the artist, and you know, there's kind of no formula to it. There's a lot of different ways it can go. Sometimes one of the images 
back there is an album for Ila Bamba, and she makes her own artist. She's a visual artist too. So with her, she comes in with a pretty finished project, and we kind of do the formatting around it and figure out how to make it fit on an album, a CD, uh, and the various other formats. And sometimes we really start at square one, uh, and we really have to work with an artist on the concept and kind of go from there. Jenny, how, how about you, since you also have a label? But your label is pretty, I mean, in the scheme of things, young. Pretty young, yeah. We're like maybe two years old. It's pretty similar to TLE, honestly. Like, actually, I was just thinking, like, three of the records we've put out have been for bands that had a graphic designer in the band that was just like, we got this. And pretty much everyone has already had their own art ideas. I mean, we're also a pretty DIY label, but yeah, all the bands that we've put out so far have already had a vision and like I've met with them to have like kind of a creative session or to like see and you know I've approved all the artwork but I've never had to help them design it yet yet (laughs) (laughs) Joe I'm going to pull you in here because your position is pretty unique on the panel since the album art that you designed is actually for your brother's band yeah I I have a really weird and long and fun relationship with record covers in that I've I've mostly been designing record covers for the same band for like 20 years. My brother is is in a band called Shushu. That's one of his covers. And I actually design like apps and websites and things like that for my day job. But I, I really love designing album art. It's more satisfying, honestly, expression of the medium. I sort of think it's the highest form of graphic design, candidly. And and I have like a vision of my next company being a, a record cover design company. It will never charge any money because like the, the, you know, the business would never work out. But I think it'd be a lot of fun to do that. So, I mean, with him, he usually has a title pretty much. And sometimes he has an idea. I don't know if any of you have heard his records, but they're almost all just basically about like killing yourself, more or less. They're like super depressing, like art rock records. So the aesthetic is pretty specific usually. So over time, it's kind of about like capturing that same emotion and trying to do the same thing over and over and over in in a different way. And he'll usually just have an idea like like the name of it. So like one of the one of the things that's that's up here, he just had an idea for the album called Always. And I'm kind of like a typophile. I love typography mostly. And so it's like, all right, well, what kind of like type is always? And I was like, oh, a tattoo, that's always, right? Y'all just get someone to draw out and you just tattoo it on my leg and take a picture of it. And that's always, and it's type, and there's your record cover. And it's always just kind of like that. It's just like a conversation back and forth of an idea to express whatever he's trying to express. They're almost all in the same mood. That's a lot of them. They lean really heavily toward type, just because I like type. And then he usually has an idea that I try to just express. And it's, it's tough to try to make a catalog for someone over that amount of time and try to have stuff look semi-consistent. This is like newer stuff, like more minimal kind of modernist stuff. But it's just all about trying to bring what he's trying to do to life, because I just have like a ton of respect for how hard he works. So I want to make sure that I'm doing him justice. Whose idea was the out-of-focus photos of tied-up people for women as lovers? Yeah, that was definitely him. So he's very adventurous about sex and likes to talk about sex and sort of push the boundaries of what's acceptable. And I'm like very squeamish and skittish and the opposite, basically. So those are just like Polaroids he took doing God knows what with God knows who, and he wanted to really make sure he got those pictures back. That was really important to him at the end of the project. So 
And the album was called uh, Women as Lovers, which I guess is the name of a book. So he just sent me these, these pictures and I just try to do something nice with the typography lockup and just put it over these yeah, blurry pictures of people tied up having sex. So, you know, sometimes he directs them a little more, sometimes I direct them a little more and they usually come out okay in the end. I really love the idea of you two having a conversation about anything, pretty much. It was kind of fucking awkward, honestly, because actually I know who the woman is, and it's like, oh, f***. It, it, was, <laughs> it was quiet. I was like, okay, I tried to be really professional about it, because like, it's what he wanted, and who am I to say no? So I just tried to just like compartmentalize it, basically, and just, you know, foreground-background relationship, you know, just try to <laughs> just turn it into graphic design terms, but yeah, it's still a little awkward. I'm not going to lie. Adam, I want to bring you in because you are a designer who's designed a lot of different types of things. And you've also done some albums for some sort of high profile releases. And how do you come to find the, because you're not a designer just simply of album art. How do people come to you? Yeah, my life was all music. Like many graphic designers grew up in music and then kind of fall into graphic design out of the love of music, I think. So I, I was a dancer and a musician and then turned into a designer kind of by default because I had to make stuff. So my first job is like my very first job was working at a senior manufacturing company for two years, making thousands and thousands of albums where I learned to design essentially back in the early 2000s. And that has always just been kind of like one of the foundations of my creative being, I think. I love working with musicians. I love the language of music and design. I love getting musicians excited about the possibilities of everything else outside of music and how you can dimensionalize music and add value for an audience. So I gravitate towards musicians because it's, I mean, as far as design experience, you can't really get better than someone with headphones on listening to something and representing that in a visual form. And I love those conversations. So what do you do? Do you get in a room with somebody and with the artists and talk about the ideas? Is that how you work? Room or phone or email or Skype. Yeah. I'm just interested because I find that, you know, artists sometimes have very strong perspectives and sometimes have less strong perspectives, but also sometimes are not as able to express themselves as well. So do you sometimes just have to get a vibe from somebody and then just produce something and see what they think? Yeah, I, I mean, it's different for everyone. It's like with any client, everyone has a different idea of expectation, things they're bringing to the table. Some people have a very firm idea of what they want as far as an album cover and they want you to essentially produce it make this happen and they give you what is, you know, usually like a, a poor brief that you have to translate and interpret. Other people are like, do whatever you want. And that takes trust and that takes time. And that takes a lot of the relationships that we probably have with artists or labels, you know, trust. It's kind of the foundation of everything. Trust, <laughs> like that family trust between Joe and Jamie. Sounds pretty good. So sometimes artists have a strong political perspective and they want to bring it out in their album art. And one of the slides that we have up here is, is the first Hari Kondabola record that we put out. And I'll describe it for people who are listening, not you know in this room. It's basically Hari standing in a human-powered rickshaw with a white guy in a suit pulling the rickshaw. And this was his own idea. This was from beginning to end exactly what he wanted. And he got a photographer friend and he, you know, hired the white guy and the rickshaw and went out and did this photo shoot. And it, it was exactly what he wanted. And he was really happy with us because we let him do it. And I was like, well, of course we were going to let it. I mean, have you heard your record? Like, <laughs> this makes perfect sense. The question I have for you guys is, have you had an artist come to you with an idea where you were like, uh, maybe not? <laughs> 
We, not on an album cover, but Sun Ingle for their press photo, were photographed in front of a tag that said Bush did 9-11. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, we didn't, as a label, didn't take a position on it, but their PR agent passed on it, but not because of the political content, but because he thought they looked old in the photo. Like, he ended up using a different photo. So, but it, wasn't, it was a place where I was like, oh, what's going to happen? But actually, like, and, and the band was fine with it, too. Aaron, what about you? I'm actually working on an album right now for Ila Bamba, who I mentioned earlier. And she came to us with an image. The album's not out yet, but she came to us recently with an image that I really liked, but it, there was nudity on it. And it was in the style of Picasso, kind of very artistic and abstract. And I really liked the image, but one of the roles at the label is to be able to put out an album that's going to commercially be okay. So where my mind immediately went was, are the DSPs or digital service providers going to be okay with this? And I knew that physical retail wasn't really going to be a problem, but I hit up our distributor, Warner, our ADA, just to gauge what they thought the reaction was going to be. And they actually sent it to Spotify and Apple and Surprisingly, Apple was totally okay with it, and Spotify at first was like, eh, I don't know. But then we started going around on Spotify, and we found other album covers that had more graphic things than what this one had, and kind of used that as a reference point and got them to okay it. Yeah, we also have another one up here, which I think you guys will see in a second, which is another Shushi record, but one that Joe did not design. This one was designed by Jamie. And this is a photo of a naked prostitute in Vietnam. And as you can see, there's a little box over it. And the interesting part is the box was put on by Amazon Digital, but Amazon Physical was selling it as is. So it's like the two departments weren't even talking to each other. I thought that was really funny. They were like, we're not going to carry this, we're, you know, unless you put this little box on it. But that was a big, I mean, censorship is like a really big deal because we kind of went to bat for the band. We were like, this is his art. This is his image. This is what he wants. Like, you may not like it, but this is what he's trying to get across. So, I mean, have you guys had to deal with that? Record covers are this strange space between art and design, right? Because like, it's straddling two worlds. One, the music itself is art, but then there's this piece on top of it, which is at the end of the day, designed to to make that art appeal to an audience or tell something about it. And there's a commercial element involved in there, which is sort of like the design side. And it's a really gray area. And you could say on, on one side, it's art and you should be able to do whatever you want, which is like what I think is the correct answer. And then there's the people who are trying to, to sell these things and, and, and make money off of it and not trying to offend anyone, trying to just cover their asses basically doing what they think is is right and and that example was pretty weird you know because he jamie wanted to have this this picture of this of this sex worker holding this doll don't ask me why i have no idea he was really into dolls for a while like he had a bunch of those things and they're kind of like they're not like you want to give the one of those dolls to a kid they're like kind of made for adults they're pretty realistic and he had a bunch of them when he was taking them around and he took one to Vietnam, which is not easy to do. Like, you got to pack one in your suitcase. And he had, like, a hundred pictures of this thing. Anyway, he collects a lot of stuff. He's a weird guy. He's a great guy, but I don't want to bury him on this podcast. I love him to death, but that was weird. Anyway, so, so he wants this picture as the cover. And I remember there was a conversation about it needing to be censored in some way. And he called me up, and he was like, well, what should we do? And my instinct is, well, just do the most minimal thing possible, you know, just like a black box. You don't want people to even like notice it. And he was like, no, they're going to censor it. I want people to know it's being censored. It's bright fucking orange, you know? So he like almost was like angry about the censorship and like had some control over it. But 
your point about Amazon digital versus physical is pretty wild, you know, and I don't know, like everyone needs to lighten the hell up about art. Like it's one of like the few vestiges like left, like especially in like American culture where people can kind of get it out, you know? So I don't know. The idea of censoring like Al Martin anyway is like pretty weird and, and, and probably wrong and probably just shouldn't be done. Just like there's way worse stuff to worry about than like that dude's in the world today. I would say. Absolutely. was Brother by Cindy Wilson. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW and subscribe to our newsletter to find out what's coming up next. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Tafik Mardini, Adam Garcia, Aaron Miola, Jenny Logan, and Joe Stewart. I think one of the things I'm really grateful for right now is that because there's been this consistent interest in vinyl, it means we have never lost art to the tiny pixels of 
you know, just next to something on Spotify or on Amazon or whatever. And for a minute there, it kind of looked like we were going to. And I think that that was a really scary minute for me because I was like, the art that is the album art is also part of why people love the package, like the whole experience, right? I mean, I'm sure everyone in this room can name an album that they like still cherish and love and that art is very important to them. And so for the people on the stage who are designers, like what you do is really important because you're actually touching people and you're, you're having this effect on their lives above and beyond just the music itself, obviously. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the artists that you've worked with and what you've experienced in the last couple of years with, I mean, you already have, but you know. As far expand. as what? Well, in terms of like people who have given you an idea and then you've been able to run with it. Oh, man, that is probably the best part of, well, A, I have a great creative partner in Kenny. Him and I work really well together. And so from the get-go, between him and I, and then you add a different personality per project through the artist, and it becomes this collaborative process where we filter out all of the bad ideas between how many ever people are in it, right? And we refine and clarify all the good ideas. So the end product is always great. So the experience when it comes like to something like that, when we get to really run with something and we're not really like held to any parameters or rules, we get to have a really good time. And, and then that experience translates to both the packaging, to the digital world. And then, you know, because the idea is that once it hits a streaming site, it's this little square next to another little square next to another little square. So we really want to make that one stand out. And either we want it to alienate the ones around it to push itself forward, or we want it to kind of just be its own thing, you know? So that's kind of the exciting part for us when we're building out a world through these arts. Adam, that's a real challenge. How do you handle that? Like the idea of making an album cover stand out? these days? Yeah, I don't know. I think there's some really interesting like foundational graphic design that has resurfaced in the, the same thing that we were just talking about, like the idea of seeing something from really far away and having it be recognizable and distinct and unique in this oversaturated media music environment and then getting up close and realizing that there's detail and thought and representation of the idea of the actual art itself of the music. It's a really fun challenge. I think it's I think it's super interesting. And the idea of being able to go real big and kind of like come in the macro micro. I love what you said about world building. That's something we talk about a lot too. The idea that you can see an album cover, but it has to represent something and hopefully it's gonna reveal itself through the listening and it can be abstract, it can be subtle. I just think that's, I think it's pretty cool. I think there's thought and concept that has to be a part of it. And then it's kind of like foundational graphic design and trust again. This is just totally something I've been thinking about a little bit. I wonder if you guys feel the same way or have experienced this. I wonder if there's a difference across genres, because I feel like there are certain genres where people completely get it, that this is their image, and that they want that image to be consistent across all the different, you know, their press photos and their, you know, everything that they put out, they want it to be, and I'm not saying same, but just like consistent with this world that we were talking about. But I feel like there's some genres and like indie rock is sadly kind of one of them where it's like you're too cool to have a, you know, it's like, oh man, I don't care what I look like in my press photo, like whatever. And then the label is in this really weird position because we're like, but it really matters, guys. Like this is something that people are going to be, this is their first, you know, other than the music, this is their first entrance point to you and what you're producing. So like, how do you guys deal with that? 
ideally an artist kind of already has that, uh, which doesn't always happen. But, you know, I think one of the things we actually look for when we're deciding who to sign and what records to put out is artists that have a vision, know how they want themselves represented. Uh, they might not know exactly what they want their album covers to be like, but they have a general sense of kind of themes and topics that kind of correlate with their music. And yeah, I mean, we can kind of help an artist figure out what that is, but ideally they kind of already have some of it figured out. Yeah, I'd say the same thing. Like by the time we've gotten to a point where we want to sign a band, they already sort of have a visual aesthetic that's somewhat fully realized. We've come into projects at every stage of development, you know? So there are times where, you know, we have one particular artist that she built her world herself, right? And we just came in and got to help out a bit, and that was great. But then there's other scenarios where we do it all from scratch, you know? So we've kind of done all of the above, like the entire spectrum. Do you ever meet with resistance? Do you ever meet with people who are like, uh, no? Yes. <laughs> and how does that go? It's fine, you know, because it's all about problem solving at the end of the day, right? Like, I'm there to assist and, in, like, have the artwork be informed by the music and vice versa, right? So it's really about problem solving. And if the artist says no or disagrees or wants something else, and maybe sometimes they don't have constructive feedback but if they do then we can continue on but it's really about problem solving at that point does anyone have any like horror stories maybe just me because i've been doing this for way too long but i remember one time we got a seven inch design from a artist who shall not be named who also was a graphic design person and she hadn't included a barcode and i was like why is there a barcode on this and she was like well i got it off the internet and i'm like oh you know this is for like toothpaste or something like this is not you don't get to just put a barcode on something. <laughs> like, this is a product. Yeah, it was very confusing. And the problem was we kind of didn't spot it for a while. Like, we didn't really notice. And then I was like, wait, is, why is there a bar? Did we? Do oh, my God. That was horrible. That was really scary for me. I mean, maybe that's not a very big deal, but it was kind of... One story I can kind of tell. So behind me, there's an album for a band called Sisters that we put out their album. And they did a photo shoot kind of on their own and just kind of ran with it. And they sent us the photos. And when we got the photos, not to call them out too much, but they were barefoot in a lot of the photos and the facial expressions just didn't really fit the vibe of their music and felt kind of forced. So the picture we ended up using, and they ended up liking this one the most too, we actually blocked out their faces on the album cover. The kind of covers it, which was kind of a blessing in disguise, I suppose, because if the pictures had turned out better and we liked them, we probably wouldn't have done that. And I'm really happy with the way the album cover turned out because it ended up being this really striking thing. But it was kind of a happy accident because we didn't really like the original photos. We just had the exact same thing happen. Somebody turned in art and we didn't like it. And we we're like, what if it's just their feet? Like, what if we just take the faces out and just do the feet? I don't think they went for it, but I, I thought that was a really good solution to the problem. <laughs> So another thing I'm interested in is referential art. You know, I think one of the most fun things for being a graphic designer, perhaps I am wrong, I am not a graphic designer, but for you guys who are, is being able to sort of play with references and cultural references. And, and I think it must be really fun to work with artists who get stuff and who, you know, if you put something in, they're like, oh, I totally get that. And it's really appropriate for what I wanted to say. Well, another less kind way to, to say that is just, is just ripping other people off, which is, which is my favorite. Like... Like, Peter Saville, in my opinion, is the best album cover designer, like, ever. And I just try to always make a Peter Saville cover, basically, every time. It's really hard to do, turns out. Like, all his stuff looks incredibly simple. But I, I'm just trying to reference Saville, like, every time, basically. And I think that's okay, actually. I think it's okay to, like, try to find an influence who's really 
a master and and pattern or style after that. And it happens all the time. Like all of Kanye's new record covers look exactly like Peter Saville's like record covers too. So it's like not a particularly unique inspirational point, but you know, I've been called out for it. Like before there's a there's a an album called The Air Force and all it is is like a Renaissance painting of Christ suffering. And then there's just like a yellow line on it. And someone's like, you're just ripping off Peter Savo. I'm like, yes, f- yeah, I did it. You know, so that's like my snarky answer, but I think it's true. Isn't that kind of what art is? I mean, like in a lot of ways, like, you know, if it's not referential, then you don't know what it is. Like someone said that to me and I have never forgotten it. It's like, you know, if something isn't in a genre, like if, when something's in a genre, you know it because it sounds like the other stuff that's in that genre. Like it, that works. That's a, that's part of how life yeah, is. Yeah, it's pattern recognitions. Like humans love patterns for whatever reason. Like that's what music is like generally. I mean, there's like choruses and hooks and I mean that it's a f- pattern. Like that's, that's why you like it. It's the same thing. So you can associate things. So you're being very, very generous with the way that you're phrasing what I said, but it's true. Like people like to see or hear the same thing over and over again because it's familiar, safe, or feels a certain way. And that's okay. I think it's totally fine to embrace that. I mean, it is a visual cue, too, to the fans that, like... I mean, I was just thinking Shushu covered a, a song by New Order and Peter Saville did their album art. So it's, like, it's not just... I mean, I think it's useful to the consumer as well. There are genres and there are definitions and boundaries of the music that we've created. You mentioned indie rock earlier. I'm, I don't even know anymore what to call... Th- I have no idea what to call things. When I listen to something, I always stutter before I'll say what it is, you know? Like, you can't say electronic. That's everything's electronic. But it's interesting when you meet artists that have a really firm sense of identity that have been around for a while and might not know exactly what they want, but they know what they aren't or, or, or don't want. And I like artists that have ideas of those boundaries. I remember working with like a rapper years ago and I made some, I was right out of art school and I made something super slick. I wanted to design something that felt real clean and, and modern. And he was like, what is this? This is not me. And I'm like, no, I'm like, I'm basically stepping your game up. And he's like, look at my merchandise and my audience. You're going to alienate everyone if you create something like this. And that was a huge realization for me because it's kind of about branding in general and, and pattern recognition. And it's interesting kind of playing with those fuzzy delineations of the edges of music connotation or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm interested for you designers just because this is something I've always wondered about not being a designer and being like literally someone that if you gave me an empty room and said like put furniture in that room and make a design, I would like put a chair. Like, I suck. I cannot do the visual, which is why, like, what was that home design show? That was, like, my favorite show. I'd be like, oh, look what they did. It's incredible. Like, I can't. I have no visual. Wait, hold on. The coolest rooms ever, though, are just a room with one chair in it, though. Like, let's all be honest here. Okay, I'm taking that from you, and I'm going to be like, I mean, come on. If it's a nice chair, minimalist. like, that's what we all aspire to. You should feel good about that. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, my God. You're my best friend. <laughs> Well, does anyone want to throw out another idea about, you know, the importance of the aesthetics of album art before we sort of start to think about taking questions? I have a question and I might not be able to articulate it very well, but it's also for the designers. I'm wondering if there's like balance is between like having a visual reference that fits into a genre and having a visual reference that you feel fits the music itself, or if that's just kind of the same thing. As an example, a lot of the artists on our label kind of fit in multiple worlds, and they also kind of defy their own genre in a lot of ways. We have a trombonist on our label, right? And 
it's a jazz record. We don't want it to look like another jazz record, you know? So we want to kind of push it the same way he's pushing his own music and push it where wherever he might see it going as well, you know? So it doesn't have to reference stuff within its world. So it's more, it's like more important to create its own identity than to like attract exactly. like traditional jazz fans or right. something like that. Yeah. That makes I, sense. I think it's about capturing emotion though, you know, more than a genre or a band or, or a record, like every, every album has an emotion. And I think like, that's really the goal and, and it's tough, but it's certainly doable. And I'm sure we've all experienced that where you've seen a record cover and it, it feels a certain way and then you listen to the music and it feels the same way. And that can be different for different records within the same genre. I mean, the emotions can be different from one trap record to another. If the album cover can, can bring that across, then I think that that's really great. I mean, if you look at like that last Kendrick cover where it's just like a picture of him looking down, it's just like, damn. And then you look at like a Lil Uzi Vert record or something, like it's a, the, the aesthetics are really different. They're, they're generally in the same genre, but like the emotion is really different. And I think like those designers did a really good job capturing in terms of like the Kendrick one, sort of like the heaviness, the introspection, the sort of headiness of it, him trying to sort of zag where everyone's zigging in terms of like the type treatments. And I think it captures a certain emotion that the record also feels like. And I, I think like that's really the goal a lot of the time is just, you know, is what your, what your eyes see and what your heart feels lining up. Things have changed so much in recent years, and there was a moment, especially with my label, where people were really stressed out about this idea of selling out or looking like they were trying too hard. And so I think there's a lot in, in the art, too, of that time where it's like, we're just going to make this look really f***ed up, just like as messy and just like f***ity, like we don't even care, like, ah, we threw some stuff and, and it landed there and that's it, and that's what we're doing. And I think it's been really interesting because I feel like that is not where we're at anymore. I think people are realizing that you kind of have to care on some level because there's just too much out there. You know, it, it's like, if you don't care, go do something else because there's 10 million other people who do care and they're trying real hard to be the next YouTube superstar. It's kind of selfish too. So like you're talking about being cool and being cool is just defined as not caring. Like that's it. Like the coolest person is just like a nihilist who just, they could die tomorrow and whatever. Like that's, that's what cool is. But it's roots are in bearing your ego, which I can appreciate, which sounds like something selfless, but what it turns out, it's actually really selfish because you're not giving back to the people who are investing their time and their energy into you. So actually spending the time and trying hard to give something back to the people who are giving something to you with their mind share and their time is actually way, way, way more giving, you know? I think cool can be damaging, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that to make art now in our world, if you want it to actually affect people, like you really have to give a fuck about the people that you're hopefully affecting. And I don't care to work with artists that don't think of the audience first. And I was lucky enough to come up with musicians that put the audience before everything. They're not they're sweethearts through and through. You know, no matter what they sound like on record, like the audience is first. They're considered family. And when you put them ahead of everything, you're automatically going to be more thoughtful in every single touch point of every dimension of your art as a musician, from your merchandise to the stage experience to when you shake hands with people afterwards to when you write people back in emails to your Twitter presence. You know, it's, it's this really beautiful kind of comprehensive world that a musician needs to create now. And you're right, like back to genres, 
genre maybe doesn't matter. It is that world that you create. It's when someone can think of you and immediately, you know, have a whole universe of what you represent as a musician around them. And Odd Future, Beyonce, Kendrick, you know, these are worlds. Every one of them is a universe. I like this a lot because I, you know, I talk on this podcast all the time about, you know, how being a musician is actually a job. And even though it's fun and, and you enjoy playing with your friends and hanging out, it's real work. And I think this panel is nice because it's sort of really thrown that into relief. Like if you want to be a serious musician, you have to have a full on worldview of who you are and where you're at. And, and that's going to be expressed in everything that you produce. And if you don't have that, maybe you're not going to get signed to a label like one of these because you're not ready. You're not there yet, which is, I love that so much. That makes me so happy. I feel like bands really need to hear that because, you know, we're not doing this for fun. We're doing this because it's serious and we care about it, you know. Wagner, I think he coined the German term uh, Gesamtkunstwerk, which is like a universal world of art. It's fun giving that as an idea to a new artist that doesn't think like that yet and being like, yo, you can do this Wagner you know, like we're creating worlds and it lets them explore too and get excited, which is dope. That was Garbage People by Wimps. You're listening to The Future of What. After the show, take a moment to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show, and we love hearing from you. When Kill Rockstars was looking for someone to take over our fulfillment operation, Merch Table stepped up to do the heavy lifting, moving our entire stock to their warehouse 
and helping us create merch our fans love. With Merch Table's support, we've been able to focus on the music and artists that matter to us. KRS loves Merch Table. See what they can do for your business at merchtable.com. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to Tafik Mardini, Adam Garcia, Aaron Miola, Jenny Logan, and Joe Stewart. Well, now that we've brought up Wagner, I feel like we have done what we came here to do. <laughs> so I think perhaps if we want to open it up to questions. We could... I was just wondering if maybe the designers on the panel could just maybe speak to like what you feel is maybe your like fundamental kind of guiding philosophy for designing a record, which you guys already have in a lot of ways. But specifically, I was wondering maybe for like independent artists who aren't signed to labels and, you know, when you're putting out your demos and stuff, I think, you know, a lot of people's main goal is just to make it like as catchy as possible and just stand out in sort of any way. But maybe if you could speak to any tips you have in that regard or just for like DIY record design, that'd be great. I would say if we're talking about your band or just a band, I would say start with what that band is. You know, if you're working for someone else, then you need to communicate with the artist. But if you're talking about your particular band, then at that point, like really just pour yourself into it. You know what I mean? And then don't be afraid to fail. Fail again. Fail a lot, you know, until it feels right. Like keep the creative process open. And then when it feels right to you, maybe... You know, just pass it on to someone you trust creatively, let them take a look, and then keep going, you know, but fail a lot. It's good advice and design in any medium. Basically, all you're doing is getting it wrong 900 times, and then you get it right one time, and, but that's all you need because you just need one. One thing you could do before that is just look at the landscape, like what are similar things that are happening, and then go the other way. Like... A lot of what I find myself attracted to as standing out tends to be the, the simplest stuff. Like there's this idea about minimalism in that if there's less things happening, it's easier to get the one big picture. So I think if you just have a brief in the beginning of what are you trying to communicate and then figure out what are the fewest elements possible to communicate that and then try... 900 versions to get there and you'll know it when you see it like you'll have an emotional response to something that you really like like everyone will like you do it when you see whatever a photo or a record cover too so the trick is just to have high standards for that pop and just keep trying stuff until until you feel something from it and it could take a long time and it's actually really demoralizing sometimes because it's hard to do, but you just keep going until like you're like, oh, f of course, done. This is it. And you know it. And if it's communicating what you want it to communicate and it punches you in the face, then you've probably got something. And I also think it's worth thinking about being true to yourself. Like we've been talking about this whole time about artists creating a world and, you know, sort of this is their whole persona given to you in a package. I think that's really important because, you know, if you figure you put a ton of time and love and energy into your music, getting it right, you don't want to just like stick it in a package that's kind of half-assed, right? And you want that package to be the first thing that someone sees of you and kind of get an idea of what you are as a band. You know, I mean, a perfect example is like, this is like the cautionary, do not ever do this. Like, do not send Kill Rockstars a demo if you have like a naked lady you know, on the cover with like, you know, wearing like a dog leash or something, 
right? <laughs> that is not the kind of thing that we are going to appreciate, you know? But also it's like, I saw that and I was like, I bet I know exactly what this sounds like. <laughs> so, you know, it's a double-edged sword. <laughs> One other thing, maybe just collaboration. This art is made through collaboration and you have to ask people for help and you're gonna find people like you that are good like you and want to help you and it's okay to ask it's okay to reach out to people that you're afraid of asking to help because if you have passion and drive and you're thoughtful about your approach to your art the most likely be down to want to help hopefully and i think that idea of just like comprehensive taste like not lowering your standards because you feel like you're not there yet like being absolutely relentless in the quality of whatever it is you're putting out because every single thing that the audience touch matters whether it's a button or the, the music itself. Adam's point about asking for help is, is a really good one. I think that's really good advice. Just ask people, and it's scary to ask for help because like, you think the person will think you're stupid or something, but it's just not the case. Like, people ask you for help all the time. It's like not a big deal. Like, that's really solid advice. Just ask. It's great. Like, all the best people that do whatever they do, they ask for help all the time, and it's how they get better. Plus, they rip people off, right? Well, I mean... <laughs> That is the short answer. Just rip off Peter Savile. You'll be good. Promise. But to be fair, if your music is about the concept of cultural appropriation, you can rip off all you want. It's part of the idea. I love it. You get it. away with it. We're, we're working. We're cooking with fire now. Hello. I'm wondering what specifically, what steps you take to make your album work consistent between the albums. If there's already a few that are out, how do you make it consistent with the artist's brand without copying what they've already created? Like, For me, I feel like it's just about using a generally similar aesthetic to capture different emotions. You know, so like each record feels different because like the artist has grown as a person and is writing about different things. And I think there's a general design language that's there, which is in the case of like this work is mostly like it's usually something like photographic with like a simple overt typographic treatment on top of it. And like, but what exactly those specific elements are can change to match the feel of the record itself. So like he has one album called Dear God, I Hate Myself. You guys can know what that feels like. And so it's just a picture of him and the type is like extremely fancy and extremely delicate. And it took me like weeks and weeks and weeks to like just get right in order to like contrast how harsh the title was like doing like the exact opposite with like in terms of like delicacy there's other ones that like aren't on aren't on here that will just be again a picture but it's called the police and that one was just like the biggest heaviest typeface i could find that just like the biggest craziest weight but it's still the same formula of just like overt type and like probably a photograph that like emotes some kind of image but changing up how those components emote to match the album. And I think you can generally build up a consistent repertoire that way. Other artists, I think, do this really well. You know, if you look like Iron Maiden records or whatever, they all look exactly the same and because they just use the same illustrator. And it's like, that's kind of f***ing awesome too. You know, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So, I mean, you could go down to like that level of consistency, which is nice, but I think it really depends on like how much variance there is sort of sonically and emotionally from album to album. 
If you work in like a different visual, I guess, art form, and you've always been interested in doing like album art, like how do you get started? Do you like reach out to someone and say like, hey, I want to design something? It's like, do you still charge them? And then do you like try to go for genres and stuff that you like? Because do you like listen to the whole album and then design the cover or like how does that work? That's good. That's a good question. We didn't really talk about, you know, do you listen to the whole album before you design the record? I mean, I sort of assumed, yes, for sure you do, but maybe not. It's super maybe easy to get started. <laughs> like like everyone you know is in a band. Everybody needs an album cover. Like it's one of the most like requested pieces of graphic design like in the world. Like if you're trying to get into it, I would just literally tweet that you want to do record covers and like you're not going to charge for it and you're just like I do this too like this is how I do record covers I'm like I really want to do a record cover I don't charge any money is anyone looking for one I literally do this and like you get a hundred replies like you can kind of take your pick of like what you want to do it's super easy to get into but it's totally not lucrative like like as like a on like the freelance side unless you're you know doing like a big industry but it's it's super easy to just get started I was just jump in know that it's going to be bumpy in the beginning but you're learning and like that's awesome but like it's not hard to, to crack into from the beginning side just do it just like anything else so i was just really curious as to for each of you what was your favorite album cover for just pure design like aesthetic and then what was your favorite for like how it incorporates it as a whole like kind of like a book cover like the, the contents meets the cover meets the music all that kind of stuff adding to like a single package that's a tough question to answer, but my mind immediately went to what's acoustically also one of my favorite albums, which is Mad Villainy, Mad Villain's album on Stone's Throw. And uh, I love the record, but I also really like the design, and it's a relatively simple design, but over the years, that album came out, I don't know exactly when, but a while ago now, probably a decade ago. But what's cool is they put out remixes and different kind of collections of, you know, B-sides and whatnot from it over the years since. And the top, I think it's the right corner, there's like a little orange square. And in all the remixes that have come out since, there's like a blue square or I think a white square. And there's been like a record store day edition. And there's been kind of this like singular thing that's kind of tied them all together. And most of them have a black and white photo on the cover. And that's just been kind of a cool series to follow. And it's like a relatively simple thing that kind of brings it all together. As a Jeff Jank, yeah, the art director for Stone's Throw. He, he's a G. I have two examples that are really like diametrically opposed, but on one hand, I would say Sgt. Pepper, which I think is, you know, obviously I'm not even, I don't have to say anything. I'm just not going to say anything. And on the other hand, I was in the 80s, a member of the Rough Trade Records Club, like the Singles Club, which most people in this room are probably too young to remember. But it was kind of amazing because you would get a single in the mail every month and it was just in a plain green sleeve. And that made it so exciting because you had no idea what the band was going to sound like. And it really made us, I, to me, it really made me focus on the music because the packaging was identical in every case. And it just like framed it as like, this is going to be from Rough Trade. You're going to love it. You know? Favorite album cover? The one that's sticking out to me now is Joy Division Closer. It's really stark and simple and pure, but has a really disturbing image right in the front that's like it's not clear like what's going on it looks like kind of like a weird ceremony or something but it really captured my imagination as a kid and I think like fit the music really well too I'm going to just piggyback on that I think they're the, the record before that Unknown Pleasures by Joy Division is probably my favorite record cover do you guys know what this cover looks like it's just black and has like this like thing it's like a diagram of like a pulsar is like what it actually is I guess but like there's no name, there's no type, it doesn't say the band, it doesn't say like what the name of the album, it's just like this like dark spance with this kind of 
confusing, unknowable, but still beautiful diagram that turns out to be about this like odd distant object in space. And there's just this feeling of like hopelessness and loneliness and beauty there at the same time. And I feel like it really captures the record like incredibly well. I think it's super, super, super well done. And it's not like a a high graphic design piece. It's not particularly difficult to engineer that design. It's really not about how hard this was. And I feel like a lot of times designers make this mistake of like making sure you knew they worked really hard on this. Like it's not about that. It's just like really captures this darkness that I think the, the album feels like a lot. By the way, that's something that you're not going to find these days as often is a record label willing to let you not put your name on the record. That becomes quite difficult these days because there's just so much out there. And it's like one of the number one ways that people find your stuff. One little note just to add on to that. As a record collector, I'm sure a lot of you are record collectors too. When you're going through the bins at a record store, oftentimes records are like packed in really tight. So unless there's words at the top of it, you're not really going to know what it is. And sometimes you're like, you know, worried you're going to mess up all the records in the bin if you like pull it out or rip the poly wrap or whatever. So I really like putting text on the top, whether it's the band name or the album name or both, just having something that people can read up at the top or even a sticker. Because if that stuff's buried at the bottom, odds are they're not going to see it while they're in a record store. There's a recent project, Bon Iver worked with this artist named Eric Carlson, who's originally from Minneapolis and now lives in New York, Eric Timothy Carlson. And part of their process in creating the art for the album was to have Eric go and work with them for three months during the recording process and actually sit with them in the room and create music with them and create art with them for a whole summer. And Eric ended up making this literal language of like iconography and symbols and every single thing was drawn out of a piece of lyrics or something that happened during the recording. The process that made thousands and thousands of tiny drawings and glyphs and letters and scribbles. And then he took those and turned them into the language that created all the artwork. And if you go and look at the most recent album, if you've seen it, it's kind of covered with these beautiful abstract glyphs, which they then got to use for everything. So the process itself of creating the album also created the artwork and all the music videos and these murals all over the world. And I think it was an incredibly like, inspiring process. That's all I got. So I have a question about when you're building a album cover that becomes an experience, there's a lot of different albums that have interactive aspects to them. Where is the line drawn between like the aesthetic of the experience and when it becomes overkill? Because I feel like there's a way where it can be really fun or you're just like, I don't even know where to start with this. I don't know where it begins. I don't know where it ends. And it just kind of feels like too busy. So where is the line between that? I, I think that's a, a great question that doesn't just apply to album art. It comes up in a lot of just design in, in general. So I design like websites mostly and I hate when I notice the website that I'm using. It's like some egotistical maniac must have made this, you know? Like it's not about using the thing. It's not about listening to to the record and, and, and it's sort of like a sin. So I do appreciate novelty and interaction and components. Like that that latest back album colors, the vinyl was really beautiful. It was a bunch of, of sheets of clear plastic, each with like a different color on top of it as you pull it out. And it's actually really beautiful and lovely. So like, I feel like it can be done well, but when it gets in your way of doing the thing you're actually there to do, it's just rude and selfish and like a sin. And like, sometimes it's a, sometimes it's a fine line, you know, but like, you know, when you're there and I think it's about just like respecting the artist and respecting the listener 
you know, I'm not needing to be so needy with your attention. No one needs that much attention, you know. Would you say it's just bad design? Yeah, I mean, like, that's, like, a much shorter, like, way to say what I'm saying. Yeah, it's just f***ing bad design. Like, Jesus Christ, like, everyone needs to calm down with this It's like, design at its best is usually not noticed, you know? Like, it's a really old adage, but all your favorite things that are designed, like, incredibly well, like, you don't even realize they're designed. Like, they just are there. Like, your sockets in your house. Like, those things work, right? Well, on that note, thank you guys for being here tonight. Thanks for being with me, panelists on The Future of What, and let's give everybody a hand. was Without Applause by Horse Feathers. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Cindy Wilson, Wimps, Horse Feathers, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash the future of what and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rock Stars. See you next week. <laughs>